way to follow along too is have it on your phone. So I use one called Olive Tree, it works pretty well. Um, that's a, but you can get lots of free apps on your phone to follow along in the Bible in front of you. Okay, well, um, I hope you've enjoyed these little, what I've called the greatest stories of all time, because I think they're the greatest stories of all time, because they, they, uh, they, they tell of our greatest needs. And so today, it's pretty simple, really. Our greatest need is the love of God, the generosity of God. God will be our greatest need. And so that's what this parable, I think, is really all about. Uh, next week, we start a three-week series on Ecclesiastes. So you've got some homework this week. Your homework is to read through Ecclesiastes. Now, Tom's going to be preaching all three, three weeks, which is awesome. Uh, I'm actually going away for a couple of weeks of those, so I'm going to have to hear the recordings. I look forward to that. Um, so uh, read through Ecclesiastes, 16 chapters. Tom, that's right, isn't it? 12, there you go. It's getting better already. Um, <laughs> so uh, 16 or 12 chapters, whatever it is, read it through. It's not very long and uh, prepare for that, um, that three-week series. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, uh, but I want to pray for something before we start. And that is, if you follow, you may not have followed this, but in, in Victoria, um, the, the Parliament is, has actually, the lower house has passed a bill called the Change and Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill 2020. Now, um, that's, a, that's a bit of a mouthful, but actually it's, a, it's a, uh, a considerable piece of legislation because, bottom line, what it means is that people in churches who uh, honestly want to go and talk to their pastor about matters of sexuality and gender are unable to do that, and that, is now against, that will be against the law. Um, so that, that's an enormous thing. And so if you want to follow a bit more about that, if you look at the Eternity website, um, there's a really good uh, article on that. But basically the law, um, uh, the, the, uh, there's a lot involved with it, but that article is really very helpful. So Eternity magazine, there's a, an Eternity website. Um, you'll see an article there which, which helps. But it does restrict and makes it against the law for people to seek, um, openly seek, uh, pastoral counselling when it comes to uh, sexuality and, and gender. So that's a, that's a pretty huge thing. That, nothing like that in New South Wales, thankfully. Um, on February the 2nd, it'll go to the Upper House and the Andrews government will try to persuade members to pass the bill unamended. And so one of the things that we need to pray for, which I'm going to pray for, is that um, it's, it's, there are some amendments in it that will change... That, are, that, are, that will... The restrictions won't be as, as harsh, I guess. Um, uh, the, the, what else can I tell you about it, just briefly? Um, uh, why don't I just pray, and you'll see when I, when I pray, you, obviously there's big issues about religious freedom um, and what that means for that state in particular. But it does mean also, <laughs> for example, if I pastor someone, um, if someone comes to me who's a Victorian from Victoria and talks to me about gender issues and sexuality and wants to openly think it through as a Christian and what that means for them, um, if I pass to them and give them certain advice, I can be uh, <laughs> fined or even put in jail from Vic in Victorian law because that person's from Victoria. So uh, fascinating sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, it's not going to stop me, by the way. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I suspect the same for a lot of my Victorian friends who are pastors in churches. So, 
Um, how about we pray, pray for God's word today? Hopefully there's some distraction about what we're going to hear. Um, if you want to know a bit more about that, come and talk to me. But also, um, Nev Hesford, Nev, give us a wave. Um, Nev's done a lot of work in this area and um, he's up to date with it all. So he's probably a better t- person to talk to in terms of what, are the, what does the law say. Um, and uh, so Nev's a solicitor. Um, and so he'll be able to help you there as well. So if you want to do that, I'm not passing the buck, but you'll probably get better answers from Nev than me. Uh, I think we, can, we should just keep praying, pray for our, our especially our, our just Christian brothers and sisters in Victoria and those who wrestle with issues of sexuality. Uh, those people want to get help. That's why they come to pastors and they want to seek that help with spiritual things. Anyway, let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we pray today um, for this bill going, to, going in front of the Victorian uh, Parliament uh, coming on Tuesday. Uh, we pray, Lord, that, that um, we pray for courage for the members of the Victorian Parliament to oppose the bill on the 2nd of February. Uh, and, Lord, we pray that you would raise up faithful Christian Victorian churches and individuals to lobby against this bill. And, Father, we pray that um, uh, amendments would be accepted which uh, would work against unhelpful religious practices but allow for biblical practices such as prayer and faithful Bible teaching. And so we pray, we, we trust you and we know that you're sovereign over all things. And um, uh, Lord, we just pray for an outcome in this situation which is, um, which is good for your gospel. But you know, Lord, that your word um, is not chained and, it, and it, uh, it doesn't go come back empty. And so we pray that your word would go out um, in this situation. And Lord, as we think about your word today and we listen to it and we respond to it, uh, we pray as we hear this wonderful uh, piece of good news and a challenge as well. Um, that you would be uh, speaking to us and we would respond in, um, in faith and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a lot in that. Um, we're going to have a Q&A at the end as well. So if you've got a question or anything like that, um, or a word of encouragement at the end of the sermon, we'll do our usual thing. And you'll find in your bulletin a little outline. Uh, you might want to get that out. There's some bulletins floating around the room. Feel free to jump up and grab one if no one's got one already. And Bible's open to Matthew chapter 20. Rightio. Well, uh, let me just make sure this is all, I think it should be good to go. Folks, um, if you are a lover of football, I know there's a few of you out there, I'm going to give you a little quiz. And some of you are saying, I'm not a lover of football, I hate football, why are you doing this now? You've just ruled out, no, no. See, I'm going to assure you, if you're a hater of football, you are going to come up with the same answer as lovers of football. Bear with me. What do the following players have in common? They're up there. I couldn't tell you which ones they are. Christian Zaccardo. Sounds like a, an insect. Anyway, um, Fernando Lorenti, Matthias Ginter, Florian Thaven. Well, they have all won World Cups. If you don't follow football, that's a big deal. right? Um, having never previously played for the national team. No. They were called up as either a late injury replacement, a wild card choice, or just the coach's favourite because the coach was feeling super generous that week, right? Most, most averaged on the field less than 10 minutes in the whole World Cup. Less than 10 minutes. Uh, and the, even one of them, now I think, it's, I think it's this guy here, he scored two own goals during a quarter-final. Two. 
two own goals. That's when you're, you kick it in your own goal, that team, right? And you can see the, the face of the, uh, the, his own goalkeeper as he kicked it toward his own net. What are you doing? Now, I think they just get a name there. It's, it's, uh, that's Cicado, the first guy, Christian Cicado. Anyway, he still got to the World Cup final. Very forgiving team. Uh, but all of these guys raised the trophy at the end. Now, needless to say, there has been much debate on whether they deserve to be called world champions, whether they deserve to lift the trophy at the end. What do you think? What do you think? Did, did they deserve it? Did they deserve to lift the trophy at the end? It's not as if they worked as hard or as long as, other, as the other teammates. There was an, uh, an honest young Christian student once approached me after a uh, Christian studies lesson. And he said something like, I reckon people who become Christians on their deathbed are cheating. They don't deserve it, he said. Compare that with someone who's been a Christian all their life. They've given up many, so many things. How can they both be treated the same? It's not fair. What do you think? Do they deserve it? Does a deathbed convert deserve it? It's not as if they've worked as hard or as long as you or me. Well, in Matthew 19, the chapter just before Matthew 20, Jesus is met by this rich man, uh, a young rich man, who could not leave his money for Jesus. You might remember that story. Uh, his money was his God. However, the disciples, who were there at the time, they did leave everything for Jesus. If you've got your Bible there, actually, I've got it up on the screen. In Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter says, they had left everything to follow Jesus. So what will be in heaven for us? Peter asks, what riches do they deserve, having left all that they had? What then will be there for us, Peter says? Well, it's true that they, they had made sacrifices. And so they, oh, they deserve an answer, Jesus says. And we can see, if you've got your Bibles open there, Jesus' answer in um, verses 28 to 29 of Matthew 19. But the truth is, the truth is, God's grace is irrespective of merit. If you've been coming to this church for a while, you'd know that. God's grace is irrespective of merit. God's grace, that means God's undeserved love for you and I, well, you can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. Whatever we receive from God, we only receive because God is gracious. And so Jesus tells this story. He tells this parable, the parable of the workers and the vineyard. He tells this story to the disciples to make the disciples understand that God owes us nothing. And that whatever we receive from him, we only receive because he is gracious. Indeed, the parable is bookended by two verses. We read one before, but there's one also at the end of chapter 19. These two verses that sum up this principle. Have a look at verse 19, verse 30, and then 20, verse 16. So 19, verse 30, Jesus says, But many who are 
first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then in 20 verse 16, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. You see, Jesus turns our worldly, I deserve this, I've worked hard for this thinking, I've earned this thinking, he turns that upside down. And that's what the gospel does. He turns it on its head. The arrogant who think they deserve it, who think they've earned it, will be brought low. And the humble and lowly, who know they don't deserve it, who know it's a gift from God, well, they'll be brought high. And that's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. That's because merit and ability count for nothing in the kingdom of heaven. And I reckon that's really good news. Okay, let's get into this parable then. Uh, You can see in your outline there, the first little heading I've got, well, it's a straightforward story uh, with some questionable business practices. Uh, We'll see what those are in a minute. The parable is really quite simple. So a landowner needed men to work his vineyard, so he went out early in the morning and hired all the workers he could find. He agreed to pay them a normal day's wage. That's a denarius. At about 9am... So he went out again and found some more workers. But this time there was no set wage. You can see in verse 4, chapter 20, he just said, I'll pay whatever is right. The new workers agreed and they got to work. Uh, They only did the same thing again at noon, at 3pm and at 5pm and then about an hour before knockoff time. Now at the end of the day, he paid uh, when it was time to pay the workers... He started, he began, he began with uh, those he had hired last. He gave each one, of, each one in that group, he gave them a denarius. And he paid the same amount for those he hired at 3pm, at noon and at 9. And then finally he came to those who he hired first. Now, by that time, those guys he had hired first, right at the beginning of the day, been around for a while, haven't they? They're sort of rubbing their hands together, thinking, well, this is looking good for us. If he paid them, well, thinking that if those guys who work less uh, than we worked are being paid a denarius, then, well, well, we'll receive more. But the owner paid them a denarius, the same. And so they complained, they grumbled. Now, here's how the owner replied. You can see it in verse 13. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Well, Jesus finishes with the same words as 19 verse 30 in 20 verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, the parable is clear enough, I think, isn't it? That's clear enough. But it does leave us with some questions, no doubt about it. Um, Look, it's pretty poor business practice. You wouldn't want to run a business that way, would you? Uh, This landowner is going to end up bankrupt if he keeps giving the same wages to those who work the whole day as those who only work a couple of hours. Um, And, hey, why not just pay them by the hour? It's also going to lead to some pretty disgruntled workers, as we saw. It seems unjust, which is the complaint uh, in verses 10 to 12, and you can read that. But maybe there are answers for those questions, right? Maybe the first workers were a bunch of bludgers. 
didn't work very hard. So they only deserved that amount. And they were made, they took really long lunches, went out to the pub that afternoon, didn't come back till four, you know. Maybe that was what was going on. Or maybe those who started work early actually finished work early. And so they deserve the same amount. No. The, the truth is, there's nothing in the text to indicate any of those scenarios, anything, anything, like, that, anything like that happened. And such answers miss the point. And we'll, see, we'll get to the point in a moment. The last words of the landowner in verse 15 tell us what's really going on. This is about the generosity of the landowner. That's what's really going on. That's the point. So let's look a bit more in it. Why does Jesus tell this story? And again, if you're following your outlines, we're on point number two. And I'm stealing a Latin phrase which summed up the Reformation, which I quite like. Uh, we did a series on these. We did a series on these solas, excuse me, uh, a little while ago. Sola gratia, which means by grace alone. See, this story teaches it teaches us about the grace of God in saving us. This story teaches us about the generosity of our Father in heaven. Peter wanted to know what he and the other disciples would get for following Jesus. Remember that back in Matthew 19? Uh, which they reckon, well, was a substantial cost. They had left everything to follow Jesus. And, and it was a substantial cost. It was. Jesus doesn't deny that. But when Jesus answered as he did, he's teaching them that although the disciples would receive rewards for their service... Anything they received from God, including eternal life, was a gift flowing from the grace of God only. Sola gratia. God, who's the landowner in the parable, does not owe us, the workers. He doesn't owe us anything for serving him, for being a good follower of Jesus. But most people think he does. Most people think God does owe them. Look how good I've been. Oh, I deserve something. Certainly better than that bloke. He only became a Christian on his deathbed. But when we think that way, well, we actually forget what grace actually means. And I tell you, that's pretty easy to do today. Um, if it, it seems any time I turn the TV on, someone's singing Amazing Grace. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, what was it? I, I think in one week we saw presidential inaugurations in the US uh, singing Amazing Grace. Um, uh, political rallies, someone was singing Amazing Grace. This might be just an American thing. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, talent contests, the people singing Amazing Grace. The message of the song... Ha I'm having a bit of a whinge. Let me have a whinge for a minute, all right? The message of the song has been so watered down and commercialised, I think we've lost sight of what John Newton actually sang about. Uh, and as a consequence, for many people, amazing grace, which actually is a couple of words from the song, And Can It Be, includes amazing love, amazing grace. It's become boring grace. What's so amazing has become boring grace. We've lost sight of our desperate need for God's love for us, his generosity, uh, our uh, our sin, our rejection of God, the fact that we are lost without him. We are lost, gone. That's what the song's about. Don't want to lose that. And so we say, and, and uh, we can say to Jesus, well, look what, I've, look what I've given up to follow you, Jesus. That's, the, we don't, that's our, our issue, isn't it? We, we, 
We mightn't say it out loud like Peter, but our hearts can start to think it. Look what I've done, Jesus. Look what I've done for you. I deserve some reward. I deserve more than this other bloke. Uh, And what Jesus has to tell us in this parable is that God ain't like us. He's not like us. He doesn't operate in line with our ideas. See, everything in God's kingdom is based on grace, God's generosity to sinners. Merit and ability count for nothing in the kingdom of heaven. And that's why the last will be first and the first will be last. So God's grace and our need for it, due to our own sinfulness, the fact that you can't earn your salvation, all this was at the heart of Jesus' clash, in fact, with the Jews and the Pharisees, um, the, the, in particular the Pharisees. So going back into Old Testament history just for a moment, since Abraham, the Old Testament tells us, Israel had been God's special people. God dealt with them in a special way. But instead of remembering what they had received was due entirely by God's grace, remember, out of all the nations God chose them, not because anything they had done or how many they were, uh, but simply because God loved them, read Deuteronomy 7. But Israel, and especially its leaders, began to suppose that the benefits of their position were really due to themselves and what they had done. They thought that they had earned their position through centuries of faithful labour to God. But when Jesus came... All the benefits they supposed they had earned by centuries of hard labour were now being offered freely to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Q-jumpers! Shouting, Q-jumpers! And they'd they'd done nothing to deserve the benefits that these these Pharisees were shouting. Remember, it's the older brother in the lost parable, the lost son, or the forgiving father. The older brother who is bitter and envious at the lost son who returns, and he, he resents the father's generosity, remember, who killed the fattened calf, put on a big party because the son who was lost had returned. The older brother who thinks he deserves more, this guy who's just came in at the last moment. In fact, the parable of the workers in the vineyard is a problem for anyone who thinks that because they have served God faithfully for however many years, whether that's the older brother or the Pharisees, or even you or I, it's a problem for anyone who thinks that way, that they they deserve something from God. Friends, we don't. We don't. We never deserve God's favours. And if we think we do, we're actually in danger of losing them entirely. Well, let's... um, Let's, let's tie a few things together. I've got a couple of little points of application, although I would hope by now that you're already applying this to your life, to the way you're thinking, to the way you're loving God. Uh, let's, con- let's consider this little, little scenario, thinking about prayer. So a pastor, I've just made this up by the way, um, <laughs> a pastor has received an email from a member of, the, a member of um, his church. Uh, Dear Pastor Bob, I'm really confused. I've been praying for a long time for something that I'm really confident is according to God's will. But I don't get it. I've been a member of the Anglican Church for 30 years and I rarely miss a week. I teach in kids' church. I'm on the morning tea roster. I'm I'm, I'm always volunteering at Working Bees. But God doesn't answer my prayer. Can you explain why? Well, as it turns out, Pastor Bob can explain why. He's been reading Matthew 20. The man thought that his membership of the church for 30 years, his kids' church teaching, his working bee volunteering, all meant that God was under some sort of obligation to answer his prayer with a yes. But friends, when when we pray, 
we've got to give up any notion that we have any claims on God. We're like those disgruntled workers who complain, who expect something from God because they've worked really hard. No. That God owes us because of all our hard work. But no, no, let's just simply ask in faith, trusting God that he will answer in the way he sees best and remembering that God is generous, like the landowner. He can do what he wants with his money. God is generous, gracious, and he holds us in his hands. We can trust him. A few months ago, um, before he died, uh, Michelle's uh, grandfather, Pop, uh, I have to remember, hard to remember his real name. We just called him Pop, didn't we? Um, <laughs> um, Gordon, that's his real name. Uh, well, uh, Pop, I'm going to call him Pop. Pop got talking to a chaplain, uh, an Anglican minister, as it turns out, at his retirement village. Uh, they talked about life, they talked about death, and they talked about Jesus. And at the ripe old age of 100, 100, the, Michelle's family has got good genes. I'll be gone way long before that. Uh, well, anyway, um, my kids know that. It's all okay. Um, at the ripe old age of, age of 100, Pop committed his life to Jesus. Uh, we had this wonderful funeral together where that same chaplain ran the funeral um, and we praise God and thank God for his work in his life. But up until that point... He spent his life pushing Jesus away. Uh, all of our family would have memories of Grumpy Pop. He was the grumpy grandfather, there's no doubt about it, um, or great-grandfather for the kids. But now, uh, at the age of 100, about a few months before he died, uh, God saved him, and using the words Jesus promised to the criminal hanging on the cross next to him, uh, he is now in paradise in heaven with Jesus. Did he deserve it? Of course not. <laughs> uh, do I deserve to be saved by God's grace? Absolutely not. But God is generous. The landowner is generous and kind and forgiving, and he saves. God's a generous God, and that is great news. You know Pop's one regret? Um, Pop's one regret, after speaking to this, um, uh, this minister was not giving his life to Jesus sooner. That was his one regret. You see, the temptation is to think, especially if you're young, to live life my way now and wait to serve God later. I'll give my life to Jesus when I've done all I want to do, or I'll start serving God when I've got more time, more energy, when the kids have grown up. But not only do we not know when our life will end... Uh, and it may come sooner than expected. But you'll be poorer for such an attitude. Jesus talks about life living under the rule of King Jesus as life to the full. You've got to trust him in that. Life to the full. Life the way the creator has actually designed life to be. Good. Uh, life to the full. Good with Jesus as my king. Remember we've been talking about taking the crown off my own, off my own head and putting it on Jesus and saying, this is life under, the, under King Jesus. He's going to rule my life. So don't wait to the ninth or eleventh hour of your all-too-brief life to start serving Jesus as King. Start now. Serve now. And keep serving year after year. And when you come to the end, you won't say, 
what am I owed for my service? You'll say instead, what a joy it has been to serve my gracious and loving Lord. How about I pray, and then we'll see if there are any questions, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous and kind and loving, gracious God. Lord, we know we don't deserve to be saved by you. Um, Lord, we know we don't deserve any favours, but instead we can trust and thank you for your generosity and your, your grace to us. Lord, please help us to remember that. Help us not be tempted to think that, oh, I've, I've done really well. I've, I've, I've served God, for, served you for so long, we deserve something. Lord, help us not to think that, because that waters down the, the majesty and wonder of your love towards us. And we don't want to do that. So help us with that. Help us to trust in you more and more. And thank you that you do love us. Amen. Uh, if you want to talk more about that... Um, today or maybe today's a day where you want to say you know what I want to give my life to Jesus I'm I want him to be king then come and talk to me afterwards um that'd be great uh don't forget too you can uh you can tear out this little comment slip in your bulletins and put in the white box that's just to the left of the tv on the wall over there and then um we can pray for you or you might have a question or you want to keep in touch or whatever it might be um or just a some other word of encouragement, who knows, tear it off and put it in there. All right, does anyone have any, um, any questions or, or comments? Did I miss something? Was, it not, was something not clear even? Um, word of encouragement, anything like that? I'm getting lots of lovely smiles, which I do this time of the sermon every week.